0: through 16 tells us, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's, Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that brings great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and singing glory to God in the highest and peace." On earth to those with whom God is pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. I love to tell this story about Claire when she was a little girl, and I was a young father and a little bit too prone to losing my temper. And we were standing in the kitchen at our home in Mechanicsville out that time, just outside of Richmond, and she had done something that she wasn't supposed to do. I don't even remember what it was. And, and in that moment... You get frustrated as a parent, and things bubble over, and the next thing I know, I'm standing over her, and I'm pointing at my finger, and I'm raising my voice, which I think, right, is a moment of parenting and correction, but if you've been there like I've been there, you know that it's really just a moment of catharsis. It's cathartic, right? You're just getting your own frustration off your chest, and I don't remember what the situation was about, but I'll never forget the expression on her face. She stood there, so tiny, and me, this large human being, and the look on her face was, was one of fear. And in that moment, it broke my heart. And I knew in that moment that I needed to do something different from what I was doing then, and so I, I knelt down on my knees. There was nothing that she could do to make herself bigger, but there was a lot that I could do to make myself smaller. And so I, I knelt down and and was right there. And as soon as I did that, the most remarkable thing happened. Her countenance changed from one of fear to one of trust. And in that moment, I was able to share with her and parent her and correct her in a way that she could understand and correct her in a way that would bear meaningful fruit in her life. And that moment of me kneeling to get into her world, tells us about this text, Numbers 6. It creates a picture for us that will help us understand one of the most famous series of verses in the Bible. Numbers 6, 22 to 27, I'm going to read it to you out of the New American Standard, I'm going to explain why I'm doing that later. But verse 22 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, who we know God was appointing them to be the first priests of this new nation, Israel, that was being created. Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Now listen to verse twenty-seven. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and then I will bless them. This, this prayer that was given to the Aaron and his sons was an important part of creating the culture of a new nation. This culture, this nation Israel was supposed to have a part of woven into the fabric of who they were. It was supposed to be a culture of honor. It was supposed to be a culture of deference. It was supposed to be a culture of blessing. It was supposed to be a culture where people would defer to their God and would defer to one another. And all of that is right here, buried in these beautiful verses in this text. And part of how we know that is this word, blessed, that is the central word of these verses. It's an interesting word. It's a curious word because in the Hebrew, it is the word barak, B-A-R-A-K. Now, you've heard me talk about this word often. It means to bless. It literally means to bless by bowing down on your knees. It means that if you were in ancient times or maybe in a culture that still practices bowing to honor someone who's more important to you, than you, has a higher social, say, status than you, which is hard for us to connect in the culture that we live in today, but there's places in the world that still do this, and, and you would literally get on your knees or you would bow before them to show them the honor that they deserve. Now, what makes this word interesting is that the word does not change when it talks about what God is going to do for us. It's curious, isn't it? We understand this idea of bowing before God. We understand this idea of showing him deference. We understand this idea of honoring him by getting on our knees at certain times in our life, like Marvin did when he came to the altar tonight. Maybe as you're at home praying, you have a sense of, I just, I need to be on my knees in the holiness of this moment. But to use that same word in reference to God and us, how can that be? But yet there it is. I mean, this is the prayer. They didn't write this prayer and bring it to God and say, hey, can we pray this? And, and, and God proofreads it, and, and right? No, no, no. God says to them, to Moses, hey, I'm going to teach you a prayer. And this is the prayer that the first priests are going to speak over this nation. And they're going to speak it over them time and time and time again. And it starts this way. The Lord bless you. The Lord barak. The Lord to bow. Now, something's wrong in that sentence. It's a word that is context dependent, meaning that when the greater person blesses the lesser person, it's not about them bowing and kneeling. It's about access. It means that the one who is greater recognizes that the one who is lesser does not have the means, does not have the ability to make themselves bigger, or metaphorically, or in a literal sense, they're unable to come to you, so you go to them. It's like when I knelt before Claire. It wasn't to bow before her, but it was to recognize that I was the one who had the power to make a difference in the situation. And so when it says that God is going to bless us, it means that he is the greater one and he makes a way for us to come to him. Listen to Isaiah 40, one through 5. Comfort, comfort by people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen. It's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and the hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, the Lord has spoken. Now you might find these words familiar, even though they were spoken some 700 years before John the Baptist's ministry, they were the words that the Holy Spirit inspired him to draw out of the prophets to make as a cornerstone of his sermons that he preached in the wilderness out by the Jordan as they baptized people. You might find it familiar, this idea of the the mountains will be brought low and the valleys will be exalted and the crooked will be made straight and the rough places plain. This is the message that God gave him to proclaim. And the majority of the people that came out to hear him would have been Jewish. And so they would have understood this reference to Isaiah. But it wasn't just a reference to Scripture. It's a reference to history, which is why it's in the Bible to begin with. Because this is what great kings did. In Isaiah's time and in John the Baptist's day, if a king was expanding their empire and as part of this new conquered territory, the people that were now a part of the empire could not get to the king because of geographical constraint, or the king was not able to get to them, whether it was for trade, for economic purposes, or whether it was for safety to be able to send reinforcements if somebody else was coming to take that territory. There needed to be access And so kings in ancient times, out of their own treasury, out of their own resources, because they had the engineers, because they had the tools, because they had the money, they would do these incredible highway projects, even in ancient times. Building roads, making places that were crooked, straight, in the rough places, plain. They would fill in depression areas. They would level hills. They would make a way for the empire to have a sense of connection. This is part of the reality of their existence. This is what great kings did. Great kings took it upon themselves at their expense to always make a way for people to have access to them.
1: give you glory We bow to give you glory We bow We call you You were made an born but on a tree you died and saved humanity and you are our living word
0: Verse 6, verse 27. This is out of the New Living Translation. It says, Whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. It's extraordinary, isn't it? That the sovereign creator of the universe would tie his actions to the actions of mankind. That he would say to them, Every time... You proclaim this blessing, I will do it. Now, that's a sermon unto itself. But part of the reason why I'm sharing it with you tonight is because of what the ultimate and most significant meaning of these verses in number six is. It's not just about establishing a culture of honor in a new nation. It's not just about giving the nation of Israel a sense of hope that they were going to have the favor of God in this moment of inception of a nation that was struggling to form, that that, that they could trust that God was going to find a way to see this promise of Abraham come into fruition. It's even more than that. These verses in Numbers 6 is one of the greatest prophecies in the entire Old Testament about the coming of Christ see number six when God says every time you say it to them I will bless them part of what God is saying is that every time you say these words it's a reminder to the world that one day I'm going to make a way for you to have access to me It it wasn't just about those things that we've already talked about as powerful as those things are. There was something richer. There was something deeper. Because even though the Jewish people, this is about 1,500 years before the birth of Christ, were were understood that, that this nation was being born, that part of this nation they understood that something was going to happen through them, that somehow they had been chosen by God to reveal Him to the world. And as they continued on in their history, century after century, they began to realize that something called the Messiah was going to be born. The prophets continued to return to this theme that somebody from the line of David was going to one day come and that he was going to save the world. And every time this blessing was proclaimed, it was God's way of saying to them, don't give up. I'm going to come. I'm going to make a way for you to have again what Adam and Eve lost. There will be a time where people can come to me again. I will do it. It was part of them teaching the generation that came after them this message of the Messiah that would one day come so that as they passed on into eternity, there was a new generation that would be raised up to keep this hope alive. And it was also part of them reminding themselves of this great commission that they had been given by their God. It was also His way of saying to them that the law... And the weight of the law will not always be the way to me. As Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, that the law had a temporary purpose. He uses this incredible metaphor. He talks about a a child that comes into a great inheritance who's too young to understand the riches and the wealth that have been entrusted to them. And a steward comes, a trustee, if you will, to, to manage this child's life and his resources until they're of an age to do it themselves. And Paul says that's what the Mosaic Law was for mankind to keep us, to set limits, to create boundaries, until one day the Messiah would come. And number 6 is telling us there will be a day where we will move from a law of judgment and we will find salvation through a law of grace. We find in Numbers 6 some incredible promises that God gives to us that are still our promises today. Even though this text was given by the Holy Spirit to to Moses, who writes this book, Numbers, 1,500 years before Jesus' birth, and then there is a time of silence. And then the prophets come into the world, and they begin to Pick up on this 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 mandate to continue prophesying of the coming of the Messiah, and so now we move forward in history. Now we're only seven hundred years from Jesus's birth, and Isaiah, who gives us many of the Old Testament prophecies, in seven fourteen, listen to what he writes. All right, then the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. It's powerful, isn't it? When you connect this name to that text in number six, Emmanuel means God with us because a king always makes a way to create access for his people. God has a flair for the dramatic, does he not? So we get to Malachi, the end of what we believe to be the old Testament. And then there are 400 years of prophetic silence. Malachi is the last prophet in history until John the Baptist comes onto the scene. 400 years of prophetic silence because God is trying to create this pause in the universe for John the Baptist to come. And what does he pick up with? What does God give him to be the central theme of his sermon? Is that God is going to make a way. The crooked will be made straight and the rough places plain and the the mountains will be brought down and the valleys will be exalted that he is going to find a way to make it possible for us to come to him. Matthew, when he's writing his gospel, the Holy Spirit tells him, point back to that text in Isaiah. So in Matthew 1, 22 to 23, this is what we find. All of this, he's referring to now how Mary's been visited by an angel and Joseph is visited by an angel. And so Matthew is saying all of this that has happened occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. 700 years later, the moment has come for these words to be fulfilled. So the Apostle Paul comes onto the scene. God saves him in a dramatic fashion on the road to Damascus, and he becomes the most prolific writer of his day in the early church, and it gives us the majority of the New Testaments. And one of the churches that he plants is in this ancient city of Philippi, and that's what gives us the book of Philippians. In the second chapter, he begins to talk about this idea of what Jesus has done. It is as though the Holy Spirit is saying to Paul, Paul, it's important that they understand what has taken place all of the verses of the prophets are there, and the, the, the great text and in and, and Numbers 6, and then we have the Gospels, but let's write something so the people will never forget what took place. And so in the beginning of Philippians 2 in the Greek, it's it's called the great kenosis chapter, which means emptying out of oneself. And, and, and this is where Paul writes, Jesus emptied himself of his divinity. He set aside his glory. He did not see being God something that he should cling on to but he laid it down and took on flesh of a man why because here we are in our sin small children and God is so big and we deserve judgment we deserve for him to point and shake his finger at us in anger and you know what in this instance it would be justified But he does not. He kneels down. In the kitchen of our existence, he sees the look of terror on our face and he wants it to be one of trust. And so Jesus says, I will go. And he finds a way in his divinity to kneel into our humanity so that he could be with us and we could be with him because that's what great kings do listen to isaiah 40 just in case you don't understand how big it is for god to fit into humankind isaiah 40 verse 12 who else has held the oceans in his hand Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give Him advice or teach Him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does He need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach Him what is right or show Him the path of justice? No! For all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. Verse 25 To whom will you compare me? God says of Himself. Who is my equal? Ask the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name because of his great power and incomparable strength. Not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. It is the biggest definition of big that's ever been given to us in the world is right here in Isaiah. And as big as that is, which is beyond our comprehension, he found a way to make himself small. Why? Because these five promises and numbers six, we were desperate for them to be fulfilled. Numbers six, 24 through 26, this incredible blessing that is giving birth to a nation. It starts out with this idea that the Lord would keep you, that we would be kept in his protection. We're not able to protect ourselves from our own inclination to sin. We needed help. So what does Jesus do for us? Paul tells us in Romans 8, 38 through 39, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in who? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. God blessed us when Jesus came to die for us because we are desperate for his protection and that's what he promises us in number six. May he keep you. And, and listen to what he also says. He says, may he keep you and may he make his face to shine upon you. Now this is why I read out the New American Standard and not the New Living Translation because the New Living Translation, I think inappropriately puts this idea of God smiling on us too early. It doesn't come until later. So when it says that the, may the Lord bless bless you and keep you, right? He's going to bless you. Jesus is going to come so we can have access to God. And then through Jesus, right, that we can be kept, we can be protected. And then it it says that that may may he make his face to shine upon you. What's that about? Hebrews 4 tells us. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, that's Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness. Listen, here's the play on words. For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly into the throne of our gracious God. And there we will receive his mercy, and we find grace to help us when we need it most. Jesus faced our sin so that we could face God so we can have access to him. Number six, may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may He make His face to shine upon you. It's it's a reference to when Moses was on the mountain and God was going to give him the the law, and and He says, "I want to see Your face," and God says, "You don't know what you're asking. My holiness and your sinfulness, it will never work. You'll be consumed by the fire of My glory." So He says, "Hide in the cleft of the rock, and My glory will pass you by." Even just getting that close to God's face when He came down off of the Mountain, and he glowed. They had to put a sack over his face because it scared people. That's where Halloween masks started right there. <laughs> but yet right here, God says, "No, no, 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 no. There's going to come a day. There's going to come a day where you can have with me what Moses never could, that through Jesus, you're going to be able to see me face to face. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and what does he say and be gracious unto you Romans 3:24 yet God freely and what graciously declares that we are righteous we're graciously righteous not of our undoing not of our own ability not because we deserve it but by his grace graciously declares that we are righteous he did this through who through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. Jesus is the Barak of God. He came to us to die for our sins. So the grace that was one day a promise can now be a reality. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may he lift up his countenance before you This is where he smiles. This is where it fits. This is where it belongs. Because when you smile, you lift the countenance of your face. And we're created in his image. And I think when God is pleased, he smiles too. Hebrews 13, 21. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of who? Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. When he's pleased, he smiles. And the only way that he was ever going to be pleased with us is through the grace that comes through the death of his son. Jesus came to make a way. It is a powerful prophecy, is it not? May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance before you. And here it comes. Give you peace. Give you peace. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us.
1: We give. And I am yours, Lord, and you are mine.
0: This is Psalm 95, beginning in verse 1, and this is how it reads. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to Him with thanksgiving. and Let us sing psalms of praise to Him, for the Lord is a great God. He's the best of kings. He's a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains and the sea belongs to him for he made it. His hands form the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. It's good, isn't it? Bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God we are the people. He watches over the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. So this is what I want to do in this moment before we do what this psalm compels us to do, which is to praise him for making a way for us. This message, it's personal for me tonight because he made a way for me. He made a way for me. In the summer of 1990, when I was squandering my life, he made a way for me. And I remember in December of that year, Christmas of 1990, riding down Laburnum Avenue, and I didn't understand any of this that we're talking about tonight, but I knew something that God had made a way for me through Jesus Christ. And it was on that day that I made a vow of devotion to Christ that changed my life forever, that set me onto the course, that brings me here to this moment. And so I'm asking, are you me in 1990? You knew a lot about the Bible and you'd even spent most of your life in your church, but your heart had never bowed before Christ had never gotten on your knees in your heart because he deserves the honor that comes through surrendering your life to him so I'm going to ask you to do something hard I know it's not easy it wasn't easy for Jesus to die on the cross either but he did it for you it wasn't easy for him to empty himself of his humanity, empty of himself of his divinity to take on the form of humanity but guess what He did. I don't think it was easy for him to spend three days in the grave, but guess what? He did. He did. And he did it for you. So I'm asking you tonight, if you're here and through this whole service, something has been tugging at your heart because you know that as you look back onto the story of your life you have never made a vow of devotion to Christ you have never said to Jesus from this day forward I'm going to live for you for the rest of my life if that's you if you're in here tonight I'm going to invite you to stand where you are we're not going to linger in this moment very long but I just want to create this moment would you stand this is your way of bowing, ironically. It's your way of saying, I want the world to see that I'm going to bend my knee to Jesus. Anybody here tonight? Just in this moment, you stand. You can feel it in your heart. You know who you are. Let's all stand together. We're going to step into this moment of worship and sing this song, and it might be that you're here tonight and... Maybe you've bent your knee to Christ in a vow of devotion to Him, but something inside of you that just says, I I want to get out of the place where I'm at. We want you to know these altars are open. You might come to stand here. You might come to kneel up here, but maybe something inside of you tonight, it's just your way of saying, I want Jesus to know the gratitude that's in my heart that He made a way for me. Come on, let's worship together.
1: Jesus is calling Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst from drink from the well? Jesus is calling. i ah. This Christ is risen. Lay your cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. Cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. Jesus Oh, come to the altar. Father's arms are open wide was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ so you can come to the altar the Father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Lay across, cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the word of the truth.
0: So I leave you with this verse. It's in Second Peter, chapter one beginning in verse 19. He says, because of that experience, which he's just been describing the time where years before that he was on what's now known as the Mount of Transfiguration, where he saw Jesus in his glorified state. He, you see, he had only seen Jesus as the one who had laid down his divinity. And this moment, God allowed him and James and John to see him pick it back up. And on that same day, they heard God's voice from heaven say, This is my son that I love, with whom I am well pleased. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, and Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts Father we know that this is part of what it means to have the heart of the Magi it was a star that led them to Christ and now that Christ is in us the morning star himself is supposed to shine bright for all the world to see so may it be for each of us for every person that calls City Life their home and every person that's visiting here on this day after Christmas and every person that's listening to the podcast that they would allow the morning star in them to be the sign that there is still a Savior that there is a one who made a way for us, for us to see God face to face. Help us to never grow dim, but to shine bright evermore. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody said together, Amen. We'll see you next week.